First of all, hello. We're the Glue Society, or representatives of, and my name is Jonathan Kneebone, and I'm James Dive. A lot of you may be familiar with our, our creative work and the work we do and have been doing for the last 13 years. The fact that we're still in business when we started in 1998 is no sort, sort of small uh, sort of achievement from our point of view. I guess we're as surprised as anyone that we still are. Um, but what I thought today would be good to talk about, um, rather than just show you, here's something we did, here's something we did, is try and demonstrate how the work we've ended up making has been influenced by some of the decisions that we've made as a business. Um, now, creative people are not necessarily most uh, you know, recognized for being brilliant business people, um, but in a sense, that's the point. We've learned a lot over 13 years um, about uh, how uh, some various choices that we've made that I think would be really useful if, A, if you're thinking about starting your own thing, if you're already starting your own thing, or if you're basically just interested in how the hell we've managed to uh, make it work ourselves. So um, I'm hoping that some of the lessons we've learned could be useful to you. Um, certainly, if we had known now what we, you know, if, if we'd known then what we know now, um, we might have got to where we are now a lot quicker. But um, the first thing, I suppose, is most people end up, when they're in a creative profession, they end up employed. You end up in an agency if you're in advertising or a design firm, if you're a graphic designer. Someone, you're looking for a job, someone who's prepared to pay for you to work under their four walls. And I suppose we got to the point, myself and Gary Friedman, um, who, who was my creative partner at the time, this is in 1998, when we decided maybe now's the time to do something else. And the options available to us at that point were things like, let's go and sort of join uh, an agency network, uh, let's start an ad agency with our names above the door, um, sort of let's go and try and get paid a lot more money to become a more important creative director somewhere else. And all of those options felt like they were going to somehow remove us from what we really wanted to do, which is more creative work, which we had more creative control over. So we kind of then realized that maybe the thing we needed to do was become self-employed. Um, which is in itself a scary decision because you're basically uh, waiting for yourself to pay yourself or trying to find someone who's prepared to pay you to do what you want to do. Um, the thing that basically inspired us to think we were capable of doing this was a project we did when we were employed at YNR, and this was something we did in 1997. Uh, it was a project called Knowledge Keeps Like Fish, and the the brief we got was from Lachlan Murdoch, uh, who was at the time running the Australian newspaper. Um, and he had it in his, a bee in his bonnet about the fact that most print advertising was really bad and not good enough. And, and he was saying it was bringing down the quality of his newspapers. Um, kind of brave thing to say that the advertising was making his product not as good as it could be. But when you actually looked at most print advertising, it was pretty mundane. There was a formula to it. And so we kind of took it pretty personally. We were creatives in agencies, in an agency who were being briefed to come up with print ads. And we kind of said, well, maybe there is a better way. So what we did was we asked um, artists, we basically said to them, we're, we're going to give you a double page spread in, in the Weekend Australian, and you can do with it whatever you want. And the response we got from people was extraordinary. I mean, when you ask, creative people to do a print ad, you kind of go, oh, well, where's the TV brief? When you ask artists and you say, you've got a double-page spread in a newspaper which is going to be exposed to 200,000 people, they start to get extraordinarily excited. And, and essentially what we did was uh, went to photographers, um, sculptors, um, and, and, and basically said to them, what would you love to show to an audience on this sort of massive... Uh, scale that a newspaper can offer you. 
Um, and, and we accompanied these uh, images that we received. This was by Richard Allen, um, the guy who started MOOCs, with slogans which basically said, nice is a biscuit, or knowledge keeps like fish. Things that basically provoked a response and said, couldn't we all be doing better? Because we felt that if we put our heads to it, Australia's newspaper advertising could be the envy of the world. This was a photograph by Rankin of Damien Hirst, the artist, set on fire. Um, it's actually a, a photograph of him which was then uh, lit. Um, and as you can see, that's not typical print advertising. Uh, what we then did was gathered it all together in a book called Knowledge Keeps Like Fish. We, we kind of compiled it. It took us about three months. And what happened was the agency lost an enormous amount of money. Uh, <laughs> basically, we spent so long doing it, and it cost them so much money. And, and if it hadn't been for Lachlan Murdoch, I suspect it wouldn't have happened. And we kind of went, well, hang on a minute. This is the sort of thing we like doing. This is the sort of thing we think we're good at. This is the thing, sort of thing we'd even like to contribute to. How come the agency system isn't allowing us to do this more often? How come the structure or the financial structure of an agency isn't allowing this type of work to happen more often? This is 14 years ago. I think some things have changed, but not maybe as much as they might have. So basically, we kind of said, well, maybe there's a way. If we can find people like Lachlan Murdoch, not that there's too many people like him, but if we can find people who have got creative projects or creative opportunities that they might give to us to do, then you know, maybe there's a company in it. Very selfishly, of course, we're going, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could do this? Not really thinking about whether there was a market for it. But we kind of hoped there was. So, I'm only going to talk for two slides. James is actually going to say something at some point. He's my attractive assistant at the moment. <laughs> um, so, having decided that we were going to be self-employed and try and find opportunities that were like the Knowledge Keeps Like Fish project, um, we were then faced with a, with a dilemma. Most people who become self-employed become freelance. It was the only way you could be self-employed. Now, being freelance is a really difficult thing as a creative person. You basically are a paid gun. You come in for a couple of days. You fight a few fires for someone. You walk away. You don't have anything to show for it. The agency doesn't have anything to show for it other than having written you a check. And it's just a really nasty state of affairs, um, unfortunately. I mean, you kind of, it, maybe it pays the odd bill, but it doesn't get you anywhere. You don't have anything to show for it. Um, and, and we kind of felt like this would be the worst possible thing to do. But we also felt there must be a way that we could sort of creatively uh, manage ourselves so that we could be useful to people and get paid for it. Um, and, and the way we decided to do that was to become a brand. We basically turned ourselves into a product, and we ended up calling ourselves the Glue Society. Um, it's an extremely long story as to why we ended up calling ourselves that. The main answer I give is when anyone says why is all the other names were really bad. Um, we had Stick, Amen, <laughs> Brown Study, The Blood Committee, Cancer. Um, as you can see, we probably got it right with the Glue Society. Um, and having established ourselves as a brand, we could then say to someone, why don't you employ us to solve this problem for you and give us the responsibility of the whole project? Um, so we kind of went to creative directors and said, we'd really like to do a project for you, but we don't want to work on it for two days. We don't want to work on it for four days and have nothing to show for it. We want you to give us responsibility for solving this entire problem, and, and, and you can pay us to do that, and we'll gladly take responsibility. And because we called ourselves a brand, everyone kind of went, oh, that's a bit weird. Maybe they're onto something. We'll let them get away. But well, let's just give them a go. Uh, the first job we got was from Hong Kong. And we were there for three months. That's how much uh, uh, the kind of idea. We, we set ourselves up for something where we thought, rather than doing a few days' work, we ended up there for, th for three months. We helped BBDO in Hong Kong uh, do a pitch for a company, a phone company called Sunday. It was uh, like Orange. Uh, it kind of had one of those weird names. 
There was a lot of other rival phone companies in Hong Kong at the time. There was even a brand called Monday. Uh, it was just really bizarre what was going on. We decided to, to, to say that Sunday was a, you know, celebrate how good a name it was. In fact, it's a really good company. By being with this phone company, it makes you feel really good. It makes you feel like it's Sunday, which is the best day of the week. Instantly, Monday went out of business because all of their comparisons were, oh, our product feels a bit like Monday, which was like really bad. Um, so these ads basically ran. I just used my phone in Beijing, and it made me feel like this. I got a mobile phone to get a new bargain on a TV. It made me feel like this. Um, and I just got out of a traffic jam by using my mobile phone. It made me feel like this. So the ads were basically designed to make you feel like the company was going to make you feel. Um, this sort of approach, I think you know, there's been subsequent bits of work that have been quite similar since this. But at the time, it was the first time someone had sort of gone out and said, we want our advertising to feel like the product makes you feel. So that was the first project we did. But having adopted the project approach, it also allowed us to work with clients as well. Yeah, and so for instance, a client that we've had for a long time now, sort of right since the start, was Elle McPherson Intimates. And they came, to, <clears throat> they came to us with a rather sort of unique problem in the fact that Elle McPherson had been the figure of Elle McPherson Intimates for years and years, but Elle was uh, getting older and decided that basically she wasn't the right person for the job to be displaying the underwear anymore. So we had to create a series of print ads of models, but the catch was we weren't allowed to show their faces or their heads because we wanted to keep the illusion that perhaps it might be L, perhaps it might not be, but basically not bring attention or have a new face to the brand. So it's quite a challenging brief, but it kind of ended up in a, a, a series of base, basically about voyeurism, and uh, we shot it with, uh, with Rankin. So there's a series of ads basically all around voyeurism, and uh, they caused uh, quite a stir at the time, didn't they, Jake? Yeah. We, uh, we made TV spots which ran as well, which ran for about 10 seconds on TV. And literally, it was just a handheld camera peering through um, doorways and, 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 and gaps. And then the, the interesting thing about a project of that scale is that it was something that we could manage without additional support from other people. It was a fashion brand. There was a very sort of, most fashion brands are very tight in terms of finance. And the, the, the dynamic was basically, here's the marketing person, here's the creative team, here's the photographer, let's go and have some fun. Um, so it's interesting that this type of project is, is, is the sort of thing we ended up inheriting early on. Because when, when we started, again, uh, as naive creatives who don't know how to run a business, one of the questions we got asked by Robert Saville um, who, who started Mother, was he said, where's your money coming from? Is it coming from ad agencies or is it going to come from clients? Because that's a key decision you need to make. Um, it actually remains a, 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 a question we still haven't answered because we actually do both, um, which, is, which is something that makes us extremely unique and it's, and it's partly um, something I just wanted to explain. Because we do projects and we don't want to have permanent client relationships, we therefore don't need the infrastructure to manage those relationships. I mean, that's what ad agencies are great at. They're really good at having relationships with clients. Um, we all, all we ever wanted to do was the creative bit. All we ever really could afford was to pay for the creative staff, if you like. We, we didn't really, uh, we weren't business-minded enough to think that we would be able to raise enough money to employ people to manage a relationship so that we could, 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 could build an agency. It sort of wasn't what our speciality was or what our interest was. So this is just to show that having made a decision to work only on projects, we ended up with projects that were kind of either too small that an agency wouldn't be interested in them from clients, or if they suddenly became very big, then we needed the extra help of an ad agency to basically um, liaise with, partner with, do the strategy, do all the things that we're not very good at. And I think uh, a really good example of a, of a smaller client who doesn't need the big services of an ad agency, doesn't need to pay all the bills that that requires was a partnership we did with the Chasers War and everything. 
Um, they came to us um, in true Chaser style and wanted to uh, create as much trouble as possible, um, <laughs> advertise their new upcoming series. Um, they're almost proud of the fact that they were completely broke. I think they only had $5,000, but wanted to get as much uh, bang for their buck as possible. So yeah. taking the idea of having no money at all, we came up with an idea of advertising their new show on um, the world's cheapest billboards. So we set about um, finding, in fact, where the world's cheapest billboards were. And uh, this one was in um, Iceland. <laughs> um, then we had Estonia, which by law you have to have the translation beneath if it's in English. Um, India. Um, this one was hand-painted, which was quite brilliant because they, they, the deal is they'll promise you 80% likeness uh, to your photo, but no more. Um, and then last but not least, we put one up in uh, Baghdad in Iraq. Um, and how we managed to get these type of images, we managed to get BBC correspondents involved who managed to get out and uh, photograph these billboards. So this particular site cost us $400 for a month. Yeah. Um, and the amount of exposure that we generated in PR alone was you know, way more than, than, I mean, if the ABC was promoting a major TV show now, it was probably 10 times the kind of budget exposure we got. Well, that's right. I mean, when it came back, they doubled their ratings and um, just by getting on the back page of the Herald <laughs> with an image like that and the fact that it was really disputed whether or not it was real or not or fake just spurned on this debate and had a really good result uh, for the guys. And then another good um, example of a client, I suppose, uh, that are really independent and very much of a fit with Glusa, so they require a lot more um, probably management um, and uh, a team around them would be Virgin Mobile. So and we were approached by them to do some work, but it became apparent to us that this was a client that needed serious infrastructure. Um, we were really excited about the idea of working on creative projects for them, but we knew we were not capable of account managing or writing a brief or, or making sure the ads got to the paper in time. Uh, you know, all the things that creative people are really not very good at. And, and when, you, when you form this sort of uh, alliance, we formed a relationship with host on this particular client. What you start to do as creative people, um, those who work in agencies will know that there's this tension all the time between the suits and the creatives and, and it's sort of a bit of bravado to be honest. But when you both work in separate places and separate buildings, uh, what starts to happen is that you get this really weird mutual respect happening. Like, um, it happens to be someone in the audience who is an extremely good partner to work with on, on Virgin. And, and, and she managed all of the relationships to allow great work to happen. Um, we, we also, for our part, were liberated to just concentrate on the bit that we were being asked to do, which is make sure we do great creative work to every brief we were asked to do. And we were doing that because we, didn't, we weren't worried about losing the business. All we had to worry about was answering this brief. It was the agency's problem if the client got edgy or nervy. Um, all we had to worry about was doing a good creative solution to this particular project. So this is a, probably the most famous piece of work we did for Virgin in the... In the Hello, I'm Warren. I'm looking for a lady or similar. Uh, how much for love, you ask? Well, I've just got a Virgin Mobile and if you've got one too, it's only five cents to text me so we can get all steamy while staying thrifty. So over to you, ladies. Five cent text. Virgin to virgin. Was that raunchy enough? Just the simple act of putting a phone number on that ad. He, he, we basically got a million phone calls, texts in response to the ad. He got marriage proposals. It was, this character just went crazy. Um, and and, and it, we realized that in the subsequent campaigns, which uh, if you're not aware of, you can find on um, either the ad agency hosts website or um, on uh, some of them are on ours. Essentially, um, what started to happen was by a phone company giving you a chance to interact with its creative work, 
just made absolute sense. I mean, that's what they're in business to do, encourage people to ring and text each other. And, 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 and this is now sort of, again, feels very old-fashioned in a way, just to have a phone number on it. I mean, where's the website? But this was before YouTube. So, you know, I think now even, you know, the campaign would have probably had even more impact um, than it did then. So um, just before James shows you some more work in this, in this, that relates to this point, one of the, one of the key things you realize by not having permanent clients and permanent client relationships is that your company's never going to be worth anything. No one's going to be interested in buying the Glue Society. I guarantee it. I mean, you know, we, we basically, all we are is a bunch of creative people who, who like to do creative work. There's, no, there's nothing that we do that has attracted any value to our business other than who we are. Um, I mean, we might sell the odd T-shirt we've designed, but the point is uh, an ad agency becomes valuable because of the relationships it has with its clients. It makes billings. And, and we were in this, you know, this, again, this is the business side of what, what's shaped who we are and what we do. We took the kind of creative decision, if you like, to never be worth something. Um, we felt that we were going to enjoy our lives more if we were independent. So we're not working for anyone, we're just working for ourselves. We've got creative control over what we do. And also, we, independence really means that you are not on a retainer with anyone, that you're not, um, if you like, at the beck and call of anyone who's paying you to, to, to service them. We're, we, we only work on a project basis. And having made that decision, it started to really influence the type of projects we got asked to do. That's right. Like, um, just to show a brief range of the kind of work that kind of independence brings is a, like this one's from an agency for a fashion brand called Marks to do a fashion shoot. Um, and this is the work we did, a series, this was a couple of years ago, Advertise Yourself. These posters ran in um, ad shells. And basically, the whole idea was that as you walk past, you become the subject of the ad, but all the types deliberately backwards. We haven't got the slide the wrong way around here. This is like, <laughs> Worth pointing out. Showing my age. <laughs> <laughs> Your slides. And then a, a good example of something almost from left to field because of the kind of work that we can do and are able to take on was a brief from Levi's. Um, basically, the brief was to reinterpret the rebellion of Levi's jeans, of wearing jeans, and to sort of reinterpret the classic stitching. I'll just give a brief little warning if uh, there's a little bit of nudity and if you're slightly squeamish uh, for the next slide, uh, look away. But uh, what we did for this project, we got a performance artist who, who had the iconic stitch uh, stitched into a bottom and uh, we recorded the whole thing. It looks a lot worse than it actually was. But um, so they're the kind of things we can deliver on on briefs like that. And then next up, um, and this shows sort of sort of how far we can go in the fact that we can now sort of take on our own creative whims as well. This is a project that the Glue Society are really keen to make happen and uh, this happened in 2006 for Sculpture by the Sea. Um, it was caught hot with a chance of a late storm and this was, um, you know, this was built and, uh, you know, funded by ourselves just because, you know, we can make this part of our daily job. So the melted ice cream truck, which uh, was a big hit, it was almost loved to death. It doesn't look the same these days, but, um, you know, it was massive, uh, carved out of foam, basically built like a houseboat, um, foam with polyurethane on top and then painted to look like it melted in the hot day sun. This was in um, Tamarama, the people that didn't see it, and it was specifically designed, James, James designed this so that it actually uh, worked perfectly in that particular spot. And the, we actually uh, uh, designed it so it could never be displayed anywhere else. And, <laughs> and there was some music playing which was suitably um, you know, fast and slow, green sleeves. Which I also went, got complaints from the neighbours at two in the morning, I think, because it, it didn't turn off. But, but what happened as a result of... I mean, I guess what we're saying is this type of work became possible because of the, the decision to remain uh, independent and to choo choose what projects we were working on. Um, the next slide is really talking about um, another decision that influenced us enormously. It had, had, had far bigger implications later on than we realised at the time. Um, but 
most people in, in, in agencies, uh, you, your, your job is, is to get paid to come up with ideas, to simply originate a concept, and then normally there's a whole process to find the best people out there to execute those ideas for you or with your, to collaborate with you on making them. Um, I guess isolating ourselves from that system and kind of also thinking a little bit about revenue, um, we thought, well, who's the best people to execute our idea? Uh, and we took the rather sort of egotistical step to say, well, we are. <laughs> um, we should direct all our own scripts. Um, you know, we can give them, we can make it part of what we do. Um, and we just wanted to get our hands dirty because there's that sense sometimes, you know, just how creative am I being? Um, you know, in, 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 an, in an employment situation, am I being as creative as I am capable of? And so we, it started off as a sort of challenge to ourselves, but then it ultimately became part of what we do. And then as the directing of our own jobs uh, continued, the ones we wrote, then a question became raised of should we direct other people's work as well? So spots that other people have written. And, uh, and in the end, we decided that also would be a good idea for Galusasai to take on directing jobs, because we could, of, uh, of advertising agencies and, you know, who wanted to get us as in as just purely directors. Um, so over time, we're now represented by uh, Revolver in Sydney, um, in both, we've got uh, Gary's now in New York, who's represented by Park Pictures over there, and so we do a lot of work now also um, for parties who write them, and then we get to direct them as well. The great thing about working for other agencies internationally is their budgets are much better. <laughs> um, so there's just a couple more sort of learnings, I guess, that we've had, really. Um, one is uh, what we've realised is that we're in an unusual place and, and, and you know, more often than not we're sort of breaking new ground in terms of what we're trying to do and what we'd be interested in doing. Um, in terms of the projects we're getting asked to do. So from time to time, it sort of makes sense to us to, to try and egg that along a bit by, by doing things like making music videos that, that have a particular style. Um, and so we invest in them uh, and, and make them, and, and that actually ends up influencing the kind of job we get asked to then do. Um, it's happened with the art as well, as you'll see, James. Um, a project that, uh, another self-initiated project that we took on and um, an artwork we did for Contemporary Art Fair in Miami was a series called God's Eye View. Um, the whole uh, concept behind it was basically recreating uh, biblical stories as seen by satellite imagery. Um, so this is an example of, uh, for instance, Moses uh, parting the seas, but seen from uh, digital imagery. So over about six weeks, um, these are all real satellite images. In this one, there's parts of uh, Niagara Falls, uh, the Red Sea, desert. Um, there is Moses in there too in red, if you look really closely. But, uh, you know, this is a, a, a job that we self-initiated and, uh, and just created for the love of it, really. Um, this is... Um, uh, Noah's Ark, um, and it's quite interesting, like all these places, um, I spent a lot of time on Google Earth, basically, and uh, this is off the coast of Italy, if truth to be told, um, Garden of Eden. Uh, that's Adam and Eve, yeah. Yeah. That? yeah, that's them there, sort of sunbaking on the edge, and that's in uh, Belgium. Yeah. <laughs> And this one is a, uh, also the crucifixion, as shown from above. And these works were shown um, on a series of light boxes, so you also look down. And, uh, and they were really great. They um, caused a massive debate. Um, we were really interested in uh, showing, you know, quite a, um, a saturated topic in the art world in a new light. And by showing it through a scientific imagery, you know, imagery that's usually never questioned and doesn't usually have a human involvement in pulling the trigger, sort of raised all sorts of questions. And what was really interesting yeah. um, about work like this is we sort of put it out there and the internet's an amazing place and it just seems to swirl around and around. And then it starts influencing even the more commercial jobs we get to ask. 
it brings us to the question, which is how do we balance our art and commerce? And, and I mean, normally, uh, no, no one would dare to cross that boundary. Uh, I guess we are lucky that we're living in a time when people like Damien Hirst are creating art that is mu as much in the news as, as, as uh, you know, potentially news is. And also, the fact that the commercial world has become more interested in, in, in the way they do things, in, in creativity. They're, they're starting to realize the value of creativity. Um, and whilst I suppose we could never have imagined somehow harmoniously living in, and having a foot in both, in both worlds, somehow or other, by, by making sure that the reasons um, we're, we're existing or, 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 or working in those two fields are, are kind of pure and, and correct, then somehow they can both inhabit. And in fact, as artists, most people, the thing that distinguishes us is the fact that we do commercial projects, oddly, um, and other artists find that fascinating. Um, I mean, the, the, the simple, uh, I think they're closer than most people probably imagine. I, the way I always summarize it is, is art, when, is art the thing that costs you to solve your own problems, and commerce is when you get paid to solve other people's problems. Um, but in terms of what you actually do to solve those, to, to create a solution, it's a pretty much the same, the same mental uh, approach. Um, so here's a couple more examples just to, to show how, how one side of what we're doing is starting to influence the other and vice versa. That's right. This is another project. Uh, it was two years ago in Aarhus in Denmark for Sculpture by the Sea, which is now has a show every two years over there. Um, of course, it wasn't meant to end like this. Uh, and we created, uh, we literally got a 25-ton digger that uh, buried itself by its own hand. I think it ended up at 310 tons, tons of dirt. Of, yeah. We estimated 90. <laughs> um, but then, you know, projects like this, again, like God's Eye View, uh, attract interest, and then they start blurring the line between the two. I think another thing we noticed is that um, certainly could apply this to ourselves from many years ago is that we kind of sensed when we were in an ad agency we were trying to make enough money so that one day we could stop working in advertising and do all the things we wanted to do um, like maybe start our own olive oil label or go and start our own vineyard or maybe launch our own brand of water or go and mold um, bread tags into bits of weird sculpture. What, you know, all, all the things that you kind of say, well, one day I'm going to have enough freedom, time, uh, money, whatever, to just stop this nonsense and go and do what I want to do. And, and I really think um, the main driver behind Glue Society was honestly to try and find a way to make a living doing all those things now within the context of advertising. I mean, why should those things not be possible um, today. Um, now, I mean, it's, it's really, really hard but, but to, to, to create an environment where it happens. But all I'm really saying is that if, 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 if I could have worked all of that out years and years ago and worked out this is the way to do it, um, then, you know, we would have got there a lot quicker. But, but now we're here, all I can say is it's a really nice place to be and, and I'd encourage you know, more and more people to do it. I'm amazed that more and more people don't work the way we do. I mean, it's great for us because it means we've got this sort of weird exclusivity. But um, you know, many people have set up their own entities and ended up making different decisions to us. Um, but I do think if you can get to the point where working is, is, um, is not a means to an end, but the end in itself, it's a fantastic place to get to. Um, so here's just some, this, it's always important to show the work you're doing most recently because, you know, this is stuff that not many, we've never showed to anyone uh, publicly. Um, and so be the judge of, of, of whether things are getting better or worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a project I've literally just got back from um, Denmark doing um, Sculpture by the Sea again after the digger asked us to come back as one of the uh, five Australian artists to represent Australia over there. Uh, we were commissioned uh, to create a large-scale work. We're in an area of the sculpture show that's quite large-scale, so it's very hard to hold your own in there. Um, we did a little sketch, sent it off, sort of forgot about it, and then uh, the worst thing happened. Uh, they said they'd love to have it. <laughs> 
So pretty much six months of planning. Uh, took five weeks to build in Sydney. Then we took it apart, shipped it to Denmark, then had to build it again in Denmark in five days. And why it was so hard was it was an actual house. Um, so we had to design this little cottage in Sydney in a way that it could all be taken apart and remember how to put it back together again. But if that wasn't hard enough, um, it rains on the inside and uh, we wanted to make it really rain. Um, it rains uh, 200 litres of water a minute and can run 24 hours a day on a recycle system. So it was massively complicated, but the, uh, the title of the work is uh, called I Wish You Hadn't Asked and uh, the thinking behind it was it's about that moment all that time in a relationship where you say something or you do something that can't be taken back, it's out there and then the, uh, the rot sets in. So it was going to be up for a month in Denmark, so that was really important to us because we wanted to use that four weeks to actually make the sculpture evolve over time and slowly rot. Um, and so this is an example of what it looked inside when it was going. Um, this is the living room. And that's the same room, um, I think, about three weeks later. So you can really see on the rafters and everything how that environment's come from somewhere that kids found quite fun to run around in. By the end, no one really wanted to go in there at all. It was a place you spent a very limited amount of time in. Um, this is when it first opened in the bedroom. There's a lot of our stuff in there, isn't there, Jake? <laughs> I can see your chest there. Yeah. Um, and as it, over time it evolved as kids and people moved things around and it just slowly became a more sodden um, place you'd rather not be. So I can say this because it was basically James' project, but we actually got the major art prize in Denmark and um, so it's a fantastic achievement. Um, we're really thrilled with it. Um, the other things that we're working on now, this is something that we'd really... Um, really excited about. We're going to start producing and directing um, a, an online, um, basically TV show, but it's only going to want, run online. So uh, it's called Watch With Mother. It's a horror show um, in sketch format. Um, it will be out next March, but we're hoping to um, release the trailer in December. So I'd love to uh, make sure that you guys hear about it first. So send us an email or whatever, and we'll make sure you, you're the first to see it. So just in summary, um, if you ask us what is the Glue Society, um, this is the weird, long answer we'd have to give you. The Glue Society is an independent, self-employed, creative collective specialising in self-initiated and collaborative project-based art and commercial ideas and executions as an end in itself. All of the decisions that we took you through have ended up making us what we are. And if you ask yourself, go through those sort of choices, you'll end up, you can end up creating pretty much every creative company there is. Um, there are those that have decided to have clients, there are those that have decided to be purely art focused, but those are the ones that have helped us make us what we are and I hope um, some learnings that we've uh, experienced um, can help either encourage you or inspire you if you're at that point where you're thinking, shall I go for it, shall I do it, can I stand on my own two feet and, and I would definitely encourage you to do so. Um, we'll take some questions, and, it, and if you want to find out more or, or contact us, if you're too shy to ask something publicly, then our website's got um, uh, an email address there, but basically it's our initials at glucesociety.com. Thank so, you. Thanks. Um, thanks very much for sharing. That was um, <clears throat> very insightful and quite, and quite inspiring in terms of sort of marrying art and, and um, commercial projects and, and your own projects of interest. One question that I have working in, in marketing um, is, um, uh, you know, we're tightening kind of, um, I suppose, agency rosters and, and more clients looking for ROI um, and, and the general global climate that we're in. How do you guys, in your particular niche, ride through the ups and downs and, and the particular down that we've just had? How do you, you know, um, just work dry up or, or do you just, do you, do you, are you sustainable, I suppose? Um, the... The short answer is um, we, we've been extremely lucky. I think Australia's been extremely lucky, really, in the sense that um, I don't think we've noticed the dramatic rise and fall in London. I mean, certainly in terms of scripts 
to direct that we've been getting from London and America, it's definitely decreased. Um, what I, the simple answer is, is that um, we've ended up in a situation where there are more than one income streams for us. Um, and um, it certainly wasn't by design, it was, we, this is just how it ended up being. Um, but because we have the opportunity to do small projects for clients, we have the opportunity to work for agencies for their bigger clients. We have the opportunity to direct our own work, to direct other people's work, to, to create something that itself raises revenue. Um, essentially, that keeps us busy. Um, the thing that's probably uh, helped us is that we've ended up remaining really quite small. I mean, essentially, the number of people our company can self-employ, if you like, is dictated by how much we can earn. Um, you know, any profit we make goes into our art projects or uh, other funded stuff. Um, and, and so it's, it's, it's a really easy equation. We haven't had to lose anyone yet in terms of sort of, you know, who hasn't wanted to go elsewhere anyway. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's true over 13 years. So, um, yeah, at the moment, touch wood, it's, it's, it's sort of, it's been pretty consistent. And, and I can, I mean, to, to, again, to reassure, to reassure people, I can remember the day when I was completely stressed about whether we would have a job on next week or next month. And all I can say is that, as with the best agencies or the best design companies, if you've got work out there that people find interesting, then they somehow rather someone finds your door and gets in touch. You know, those emails or phone calls are the things that keep you alive, really. <laughs> but we haven't gone out and marketed ourselves other than doing talks like this, I suppose. Um, so, yeah. But if you've got a project, <laughs> um, either ask your agency to see if we could be helpful or, or we'd love to talk. Hi there. Oh, g'day, guys. That was really awesome. Um, were you guys all friends when you started out? Like, are you all mates? Um, have you had other collaborators join? And I guess, how do you decide what's a Glue Society project? And do you do external projects that you go, this isn't part of what we're all about? And does that ego thing? I'm just generally, because I want to do the same, basically. And it's just, we're all doing side projects and our sort of collective project, and we all work in agencies. And it's just trying to manage what's a collective project and stuff. Yeah, I think first five questions, we're definitely all, all friends. Um, a couple of us have been there longer than others. I mean, JK and Gary have been there right from the start. But, I mean, the latest group of guys, we've probably all been together for about... Yeah, most, seven, most of us have been there for five, six years. And, and You tend to not leave. Um, you just keep, keep staying, <laughs> yeah. staying on. It's not because of the money, um, but because it's a hard thing to compete with, an opportunity. And... Um, I mean, the, the question of quality control almost is, um, is an interesting one. And I think in, inside our four walls, um, there's a definite quality control. We all strive for a certain um, standard, I suppose. And that, how good it is, usually judged. We're very, uh, we share a lot of the ideas with each other. It's very communal in that respect. And I think we all have a certain idea of whether something's going to cut the mustard or, or not. Um, there's, I mean, people have interests beyond work, but it tends to be, um, you know, very self-involved sort of thing. Bird watching, breaking a leg, skateboarding, those sorts of things. Um, but creative projects, we try and, um, you know, allow them to happen within the four walls of the company. Uh, and, and everyone, we try to encourage everyone to have their opportunity to, to lead a creative project that we're funding so that everyone gets a chance. And I think with the ego thing too, I think there's a lot of realisation that as a collection of individuals, you can be a lot more powerful than individual egos. As a collective, we can uh, really achieve things together and help each other and get those projects for one another. And that, other, yeah. So that's the power, there's I think. There's no... I mean, there is no creative director. We tend to creative direct ourselves. For us, we call the Glue Society the creative director. Um, I mean, sometimes, you know, it's written that there are roles, but it's not 
true. The, the way we make it easy for ourselves, actually, is by doing things that no one's done before, so no one knows whether we're really shit or, 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 yeah, or good. Or right. <laughs> so by doing stuff that none of us have done before, we kind of we, we convince ourselves that we're doing okay. We're all in the deep end. <laughs> but um, definitely encourage you. If you want to have a coffee or something to talk more, then more than happy to. Hey guys, thanks very much. No um, uh, my question is, outside of your own work, what's kind of surprising you at the moment in terms of creative work and commercial work that's coming together? Like, what, what are you inspired by? Personally, I, I, I love what's happening in Argentina. Uh, I mean, uh, I just think the way that they think about the world is fascinating. Um, and the reason that working on the 1882 job was so exciting was that they were genuinely thinking of things that we would love to have thought of. Uh, I just think uh, they're very... They're, I, I'm really keen to get Australians and Argentinians working together more because we can learn a lot from each other. They, they've got a very similar attitude to sport and life and going out and, and being out really late. And, but the thing they have got is this bizarre sense of humour and passion which, which just expresses itself all the time. Uh, and I think um, they, they really happy to be themselves, and, and I think it shows in the work. It's, it's very personally motivated. Um, and um, so definitely from there, and I'd say you're starting to see similar things where, you know, Wyden and Kennedy, there's definitely some very strong creative personalities that are kind of being allowed to just get on with it, you see what I mean? I, I think where there's creative freedom, there's the best stuff. And those tend to be the most exciting buzz companies, I guess. Um, yeah. But otherwise, I'd say New Zealand, uh, client-wise, I reckon they're really ambitious and, and doing some great stuff too. And it's sort of interesting you bring up like Argentina and New Zealand, because I mean, I've been having a similar thing of, say, going to Denmark and building a raining house, just immersing yourself in a completely different uh, creative culture, especially amongst a bunch of artists. Um, I really sort of thrive, I suppose, on, on being out of my depth, out of a comfort zone. Like, you can get quite insular in, in, in your creative, uh, you know, your creative output, and you can be very good at that. But I quite like, I don't know, jack of all trades probably isn't the right word, but just trying to, you know, you know, put your hand to everything you can as a creative person and just try not to be too defined by what you do. Um, I'd like, I often say to JK, what I really enjoy is not being able to explain to anyone what I do for a living. And, and, but it's a deliberate attempt to, to constantly try to inspire myself by just going into places I really, I don't think I should belong and, and, and learning off those people. I really love the idea of creating like these creative tribes that you have um, and the model that you've put together. Um, I think it's empowered the creative a little bit more and so they don't feel so restricted by the suits and the briefs. Um, and then there's that mutual respect. Do you think, as a trend, you might see other agencies starting to outsource their work to empower creatives a little bit more? I think it, it, it makes sense, actually. I mean, there's obviously... Um, it depends on how many, uh, I suppose, clients buy into that approach. But, um, I mean, certainly... Uh, companies like The Hallway uh, and Host and companies like that, I would say, are demonstrating that by being different, um, you, you, you attract a different type of client who's, who's interested. The great, I mean, I, to sell the model a little bit, uh, the great thing for us is that whenever we work with an agency like that, the client has actually said, we would like the Glue Society to do the creative work. We're being actively chosen to be part of that, to, to work on that project. And, and, and in a way, that's the biggest shame of working sometimes within a, in a convention, more conventional setup. Clients tend to get who they're given. There's no desire to sort of say, I'd really love it if you worked with these guys, or do you want to see what work they've done before? I mean, unless it's, there's exceptions. You know, Clems in Melbourne is you know, obviously doing fantastic work. Um, but, but I think as a model, it, it, makes, it makes a lot of sense. And, uh, well, some people like the protection that comes from, you know, uh, and other people thrive on the independence. So I can't say it's, 
absolutely imperative that creative, uh, agencies sack their creative departments because it just wouldn't work like that. But certain people, it works. Um, and if that's your temperament, then it, then it, it forces you to just uh, grow up a little bit, I suppose, and, and, and make sure that you're not letting anyone down. Quite a few of us probably work in advertising, and um, we, you would say that uh, the client uh, obviously is imperative to, to the business. Uh, as, a, as probably Sydney is one of the best little hot shops, how do you, at what stage do you say to the client, well, no, the work that you want us to do is just not what the Glue Society does? Knowing that you're also saying no to quite a bit of money, at what stage do you kind of, being an independent little agent and not having that constant little stream of uh, you know, those regular clients, at what stage do you say, thanks guys, but that's not, that's not for us? Um, well, usually we won't start something unless we've already decided that we are the right people. If we present something that's genuinely outside of someone's comfort zone, then I don't think we've done our job properly. Um, it's, it's, if you're given a project to do and, you, and you've been chosen by a client to do that project, then really um, you're there to come... To, you basically have the same agenda. So all I can say is it very rarely happens. I know that sounds ridiculous, but um, it's rare that we're in a situation that if we get asked to do a project, we don't end up seeing it happen. The only times it, it, it has happened is when the client already knows what they want. Um, and if a client already knows what work they want, then we're not the right people, you know, in a way, just go and get someone to do it. Um, uh, it's, it that's the only time it's... And, and that's probably count on... A li well, maybe ten, you know. Um, but I honestly think if, if there's already some... If, if someone's prepared to give you a problem without influencing the way it's solved, uh, then, then, then it's your job to make sure that you work together to all be happy. You, you have to all be happy. That, that's important. Um, and as long as those are the rules of the engagement, if you like. Uh, the benefit we have, and I know this is only harping on about why it works, but the benefit we have, if, if the client isn't happy with what we do, then we're not going to lose the business. Uh, and the other important thing is the agency isn't going to lose the business either, because the agency can just go and ask someone else. You know, so the agency is much more relaxed about it. If we present something that, that, that you know, the client doesn't like, they haven't you know, got to suddenly panic and, and, and go, oh my God, we're going to lose $25 million worth of billings. Because it's structured such that the relationship's really strong, it's just how the hell we're going to solve the problem. Every single idea that we have is born out of the problem we're given. Whether it's because there's too little money, someone wants a massive logo, they want a branding idea in the ad. I mean, honestly, whatever the problem is, the idea is staring you in the face, usually. It's usually born out of the real bugger of a mandate. <laughs> the worst briefs are the open briefs. Yeah, yeah they're the terrible. Worst briefs the Don't know what to do. Yeah. Those are the ones we set ourselves, usually. Yeah, so thank you very much. Mm -hmm.